I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, top, top 40 recruiting class day for Happy now. Top 40 recruiting class day, except for you, Rivals. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's, what's Rivals' deal? Like, I, I get there being a, kind of a disparity, but like... Rivals hate like, all of our recruits. 18 spots? Is that what we're doing? Well, I think... Uh, it's, it's fine. Like, Rivals but hates still. all of our recruits. Now, there's there's like a couple. There's a couple guys that don't even have like ranked that like 24 and other places have ranked. Yeah, that that'll do it because I think that they just like count as nothing. Because yeah. um, even a two star like help a little bit. Um, it's funny because like Rivals always seems like a, I mean ESPN sometimes, but Rivals especially always seems pretty far off of what we usually get from everyone else. Because, like, even even the other side, like, because uh, if we remember correctly, Marquis Spool was, like, a two-star everywhere, but then Rivals had him as a four-star out of nowhere. So, um, you know, it, they have their own their own uh, analysts, and it's nothing to be, like, it's no vendetta or anything. It's yeah. just, uh, it just you know, they have their own system, and, and they're, you know, all these websites have slightly different ways to uh, grade these things. That's um, why I just use the composite. Yeah, that's what I always go to. The deposit just easiest way. And like, if you want to, if you want to be very pro Syracuse, you could go and grab the four star for uh, for Hendricks from ESPN. You could say we have three four stars, but like, I think the deposit's like the cleanest way to do it. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, funny you mentioned Rivals and Sproul because technically they were the they were the ones that ended up being right on him. <laughs> yeah, I'd say Sproul ended up being like roughly a four star player. I. I I did that that thing like the one year from the 2009 class where I like went and like we re- regraded how good that class was because that was like the famous like 13 that was like the the like Game of Thrones uh, going beyond the wall party of, of recruiting classes where like you're not quite sure how a group that small is gonna do but they end up doing probably better than they can because of plot holes and stuff. Um, <laughs> it was 13 people deep and like nine actually made it but like all nine of those guys like really were good so. Um, yeah, that that's it's just always interesting to, to reevaluate, especially with a class like Syracuse, where you're so often getting three. Now almost all three, but like during the Maroney are like two and three star guys, and like some of those guys hit big, and some of those guys like never play and never contribute or don't make it the team at all. So um, I'm fine rolling the dice on the four star guys, uh, like we did today. Um, I don't think that'll ever be like the majority of the class or anything, but. You know, if we can get to the place where we're getting like three or four legit blue chip guys in a class, like that's pretty good company to be in. Oh yeah, and, and I think it's not just that; it's that this year, what sticks out to me is that like it's not the positions you would think it would be in a Babers offense, where it's it, it's the guys who are going to be getting the ball a lot. Like, I mean, yeah, Hendricks, I guess, but like the the, the two like marquee names in this class are Tyrone Sampson and Kadir White both of whom are offensive linemen, both of whom a lot of stress would get put on in this offense. I mean, obviously, if you're an offensive lineman, you understand that going in, but I, I mean, I, I would definitely assume looking at this two years ago that, that the big, big names were going to come from the skill positions, and we saw that last year, um, obviously, you know, with Tommy DeVito, but 
this year, having guys come in, you know, ready to protect him and really kind of sight unseen in terms of what this offense can really, really do. Um, and I know we talked about this last week, but really encouraging to be able to do that, really encouraging to be able to to beat out, you know, Maryland, who is a very good recruiting team of late, um, and Auburn, who, who's always a great recruiting team. To be able to beat them out for a top talent, even a New York one, um, is is a really good sign for where we're headed here. Yeah, because, like, the, the New York guys, like, we've, you know, obviously Moreau made that a focus, but he was doing really well with, like, the three-star guys. There were a few of the, the, the elite New York guys that were coming to SU, like, because those guys do get paid, you know, people pay attention to them. Um, it's, they, they don't hide from recruiters, so, and Cardinal Hayes is obviously one of the better programs in the in the city, so um, he was on a lot of radars. I mean, he had offers from Auburn, Georgia, Ole Miss, Penn State, a um, ton of big schools. He had interest from others. Um, so the fact that, that SU was going to, uh, you know, able to pull one of those guys out finally is, is huge, and uh, the fact that we are really bolstering the offensive line is also huge. Just like, if we have a class that's like all three-star, you know, mid-tier um, receivers and running backs, like, I'm not that worried about Baber's ability to get production out of those guys. Right. I th- I'm, uh, you know, offensive line is where I have less, I won't say, like, I'm not uh, confident in him, but, like, I know Babers can coach up still position guys. I know he can have a wide array of quarterbacks throw for 5,000 yards or 4,000 yards, probably 5,000 if he really, if he really gets the right, the right pieces. But offensive line is, is, is tough. And especially like we've seen with Syracuse in recent years, if you miss on a couple offensive linemen in a class, like it can really be debilitating uh, to the depth and, and because, you know, you do need five of those guys to start every year. And even if you don't, um, I mean, look at like the class of 2015, like I feel like right now, probably three of those guys have hit and the other two could still, but at the same time, like, they almost had to get set back a year because of the fact that they weren't necessarily geared toward the system. They were geared toward, you know, whatever Schaefer was kind of recruiting toward. So, I mean, like, that's one consideration. I think offensive line in general is notoriously tough to, to recruit for, but especially, you know, for a school that, that doesn't really have a lot of, you know, nearby talent. I mean, e- even, even in New Jersey – you know, like, you're not really going to find a lot of elite offensive linemen. So, like, that's just the entire Northeast area, like, just doesn't really have those types of players. So for us to be able to go out and get two, like, blue-chip type guys to play on the line, like, is, is, is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, and that's a position where you very rarely, even with these four-star guys, like, there's nothing saying nothing to say that they're going to step right in and play, you know, as freshmen. That's It's the, the position where you probably get the least amount of uh, – of freshman impact, like you, you get some guys like that um, who will put before your starters, but it's pretty rare, even even for blue chip guys. So um, the ability to like make sure you can plug in new players every year and and you can develop players because most offensive linemen probably don't start until they're they're maybe like redshirt sophomores or juniors. Um, so when you when you lose classes or you have strings of, of non productive players, it can really debilitate you because it's not like oh, we didn't get a good receiver out of this, like, three-person class, but, you know, next year we can probably find a freshman who can come in and, and be a decent third receiver. Like, offensive line just doesn't work that way, so you can find yourself in really problematic areas. And uh, luckily, these two, uh, the two offensive linemen, or the two four-stars at least, I know we have more than two in this class overall, um, both seem to be keepers, and uh, if they both work out, if they hit, and they're, they're both, like, three-year starters, that's... That's huge if you get your, your blindside tackle in your center. Like you're in really, really good shape. 
Yeah, and, and you know, just to circle back on your point before too, like people waiting for those. Like, yes, we do need more blue chip quarterbacks coming in. I, I I won't discount that, despite the fact that the system does kind of enhance the skill set a little bit. We saw it with Mahoney last year. Um, obviously, caveat for for Pitt's um, defense, but you know. I and I think you agree here. I think a lot of others should agree here. Like looking at these skill position guys, where Babers is obviously not just out there recruiting the the quote unquote best wide receivers. I mean, you, you just don't really see a lot of uh, those offers. Like I know I ran, ran down that uh, Rivals two fifty list the other day um, for like who has Syracuse offers, and, and there were very few um, wide receivers. There were a couple running backs um, because that, that's obviously a position of need, but. Like, Babers is recruiting guys who are fast, guys who are big, um, and guys with great hands, and he figures if, if you can keep up in this offense, then you'll do just fine. I think he's he, he's smart to prioritize the, the system fit in, in places like that where it's very, very plug-and-play. Yeah, and that's why, you know, like you just said, we might not go after um, every four-star wide receiver that's in one of our recruiting, place, uh, recruiting spots, but... We, we definitely seem to focus fire on, like, specific skill sets, specific um, builds. Uh, and as you can, like, kind of climb the ranks of, of those type of players that you uh, you land, then, you know, you're, you're doing pretty well. We've seen that, especially because, like, I, I really love the receivers that we brought in the last two years. Um, and none of those guys, Hendricks, I guess, on ESPN, but, like, none of those guys are, like, a blue-chip prospect, but they all seem to fill very specific roles. And, and last year we started to see, like, what the different pieces of Babers' offense looked like. Like, obviously, he inherited that team and got lightning in a bottle with Amba, but you kind of have an idea of, like, what the different types of receivers you want are. So when you get a recruit, like, you say, like, oh, I could see him filling right in at, uh, at Irv's spot. I could see him filling right in at the Steve Fishmile spot. Um, and it's not, like, you know, groundbreaking. It's you, you have flankers and you have slot guys. But um, it's fun to see, like, We've talked about this all the time, like actually having this offensive identity and that informing recruiting, and it's really fun to see like it very obvious in those spots, like where oh I know exactly why we went after this player because he can do these things and these are the things that Babers values. Yeah, it is refreshing to have that um, like idea in place. Is something that you know most most Syracuse fans of the last decade haven't really seen in action in a recruiting class to, to be able to draw a line from what a player can do and what Babers needs them to do. Um, yeah, so I'm very encouraged. I know you're very encouraged. Um, this is a fun time right now for SU fans. We're 15 players into this class um, with more to go. And I, I am I'm very, very encouraged, especially if we have uh, a quality season here, which is what we're talking about today, Dan. Is, uh, you know, now we had a little... Uh, little recruiting divergence, but um, the rest of this episode is 100% Syracuse. It is all about um, Syracuse football 2017 season, and we're going to go through every position group and the schedule just to, uh, to give everybody a good uh, refresher on you know what happened last year, but more than that, what to expect this year um, against a pretty tough slate. Yes, I think we're all, we're all excited about this. We're so close. We are... What like uh, days how many away. days away? Literally days. Just just over a week. But we didn't get we didn't get the win the lottery of playing on uh, August twenty sixth. But we are we are still just days away. Next year we'll face Western Michigan and Australia. 
<laughs> sure. <laughs> yes, please. Let's do that. Sign me up for that. I would love. I would love a stupid Atuso to Australia. <laughs> we we would totally do that. That'd be so much fun. It'd be like, why are you guys playing Western Michigan in Australia? Why did Stanford play Rice in Australia? I I I I don't understand how that game happened. I mean, I get the Pac-12 was trying to do like their like five steps ahead global That's ambassador fine. to college football thing. How do you convince Rice to do that? Yeah, why is Rice doing? Same thing last year, wasn't it? Like Hawaii, Cal. Well, Hawaii was at least like the closest school. Yeah, I, I guess by default. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like, I, I how does Rice get out of this? Yeah, right. I mean, does Rice like the school itself recruit a lot of Australian students? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, uh, doesn't does Rice need to? Rice is a pretty damn good school. Um, they're in the middle of Houston. Yeah, they're also. In, I'm now picturing like a bunch of like Australian, like like smart Australian teenagers running around Houston, which seems like a like a Todd Phillips movie. Um, I don't know. I don't get it at all. <laughs> anyway. Um... So yeah, going position. Shouldn't Akron be playing in Australia? That would work. Uh, the natural fan base. <laughs> I mean, that's something I would like to explore. Like, does... Also <laughs> derailed the Syracuse preview so quickly. <laughs> we, didn't even get, we didn't even get into quarter. We're going to talk about all Syracuse all the time. All right, now three minutes on hypothetical games in Australia. Okay. <laughs> all right. Keeping the actual Syracuse shit. Um... Dan, starting with quarterbacks, um, there's no mystery about Dungy starting. Um, but by, beyond him, I mean, who do you think is, is the second stringer? I know, like, Zach Mahoney was asked. Um, Dino Babers has been asked. Like, no one really has a clear idea. Um, I think Mahoney's getting the nod, but um, this thing could be a little bit closer um, than we think with, you know, somebody like Rex Culpepper. I know we've been of the same mindset with DeVito. Um, do you think it's just going to be kind of chalk, despite the fact that there's been a lot of murmurs about things changing? I am super interested to see what we do here. Um, I think the most likely, and I, not having any inside info because we don't know that much about the situation, um, but I think the most likely scenario is DeVito will not play unless Dungy goes down early in the year. Uh, kind of like Dungy filled in for Hunt. Like, I don't think... I know Dungey was being prepped to play, but, like, who actually knows if Terrell Hunt didn't get hurt in that first game if Dungey would have been the first guy off the bench? Right. Um, he might have. Who knows? But I know it seems like a growing trend in college football is to play your freshman quarterback instead of redshirting them uh, just to get them valuable game experience. Um, unfortunately, Syracuse does not have so many. Like, if you're if – you're, uh, I'm trying to think of it. If you're Baylor a couple years ago, and I hate to compare to Baylor, but if you're Baylor a couple years ago – and you have Seth Russell and Jarrett Stidham, and you have this crazy offense, like, you know you have a lot of situations in which Stidham can go in and play because there's, like, enough bad Big 12 teams, and you haven't scheduled a non-conference opponent worth any salt ever. Um, you know there's at least, like, five or six games where you can comfortably put in Stidham and have him get a lot of PT. Uh, so in that case, um, it's worth it to not redshirt him. Obviously, he ended up redshirting via transfer, uh, but that, that was kind of the situation. And then Russell obviously got hurt, and then Stidham started for a couple games. But... They weren't going to retro to me either way. So you could have that. Um, I don't think Syracuse has that luxury because we have maybe two games like that, and I don't know that it's worth burning a red shirt to say, like, to let Tommy DeVito play, like, a combined three quarters against Central Connecticut and uh, Central Michigan. Um, now, Especially when we don't really look like we're getting 
any sort of big name at the quarterback position in this class either. Yeah, so I, I would tend to think that he should redshirt outright, and unless you know you have a break and break glass case of emergency situation where Dungey gets hurt as he is wont to do, unfortunately, and uh, it's not that late in the season. Like say he gets hurt in game five, and even if he's gonna miss like only a couple of weeks, um, then I, I'm kind of open to saying like, like let's get Devito in there. Uh, we're probably not gonna make a bowl without Dungey. So let's, you know, see what happens because, I mean, no offense to Zach Mahoney, who we all love and adore. Um, there's a lot more value in getting DeVito uh, some, like, valuable game experience against some ACC teams than, you know, watching Mahoney maybe throw for 80 yards and maybe throw for 500 yards. Um, <laughs> so I, I think in that situation we'll be fine with it. If it's, like, week nine and Dungey was to get hurt, I don't want to see DeVito burn his retro for, like, three games. No, I just think you throw Rex in there. Yeah, then, yeah, so you have Culpepper, too. That's the other thing. Like, Rex Culpepper, obviously, like, it seems like he's kind of gotten buried here because DeVito's such a big prospect. Like, Culpepper was a really solid quarterback prospect. And even if he's not going to end up winning the job ever, like, at least give him a shot. And then, you know, worst case, if we're being realistic, like, if Culpepper wants to go play somewhere, worst case, you're just giving him some film and, like, saying, hey, you know, here, we'd love you to say, but at least you have, like, three games to show some teams what you can do and you can go somewhere else, like... And that's just being pragmatic because we've now seen, like, if you pay attention to quarterbacks across the country, um, they will transfer a lot. Uh, I think I remember, like, Tom Savage, I think, was the first one that I really remember transferring twice. That's not that uncommon now. Vinny Testaverde's son, uh, who was a walk-in at Texas Tech, transferred to Miami, didn't win the Miami job, and now he's transferring again. So, like, quarterbacks, just because there's so few teams that are willing to do playing time to more than one, because that's kind of proven to almost never work. Um, they just want to play, so they will they will rotate until they find a spot where they stick. Um, so obviously, we have no idea if that's the case with Rex. He might be uh, he might just love it here, and if he wants to stay and try to win the job, like more, I, I hope he does. But um, either way, like going back to the Devito thing, I, I hope that if we burn the red shirt, it is going to be a situation where we can get him a lot of good, valuable snaps. Um, I'd be worried about doing it too late, and I'd also be worried just because this offensive line is going to be kind of an adventure. Um, I don't know that I would want to do it if we think he's just going to get, like, crushed every game. Right. No, I completely agree there. There, there. There's not a lot of value in tossing him out there. But at the same time, like, strangely, like, even guys that we've thrown in there in limited time have managed to, if they don't end up starting long-term for Syracuse, end up starting long-term somewhere else. Um, I mean, considering, like, what I don't think we were overly impressed with Austin Wilson's time at Syracuse, and yet he landed at uh, Coastal Carolina. Um, I know Mitch Kimball ended up at Stony Brook. So, like, the, you know, these are guys that, that, that didn't really play that much. I, I think I'd like to see Rex Culpepper play here, and he still very well might. Um, but if, if that's not going to be the case for some reason long term, um, yeah, let's, let's get him some film, I think. I, I think it's going to be easy. Hopefully we don't have to have this conversation, but knowing how bad the schedule shapes up in the middle, and we'll get to that, um, I, I think any Syracuse fan would be a fool not to have the thought floating around somewhere in their mind. Right. And, and again, like, hopefully one day we have one of those schedules and a team worthy of, like, oh, we're going to roll through these five games, so we have this nice, like, four-star quarterback here. Let's Let's – plan on getting him like a solid quarter in each of those and and we don't redshirt him but we think he's gonna be really good in three years so it might not matter anyway um this is not that year uh literally uh there is 
uh, unless you want to throw, unless you count like Florida State and LSU as games where it doesn't really matter, you might as well play them, which I don't think is the best idea. Um, you're in for dogfights throughout, except for you know Central Central Michigan. But like we've seen Central Michigan be pesky before, and Middle Tennessee. Bill C actually has us at a 76% chance to win, which honestly, like I think, I think will beat Middle Tennessee. I, it feels a lot more like 65%. Like they're pretty good, and I know it's at the dome, but they could win they're, USA. They play a similar style to us. Yeah, they have a, a defensive coordinator who's pretty familiar with a lot of our players. Um, not all of them, because there's so many of them are young, but he knows a lot of them. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's this is a this is a, a battle from after week one pretty much every week even central michigan like it would not surprise me if they gave us a, a really hard game so um we're going to probably want to bring our best out uh week in and week out here though that said if you were going to to try to pull one over on a florida state or a clemson throwing a blue chip recruit with zero film attached to him might not be the worst idea that'd be <laughs> <laughs> sure, I guess. Um, I mean, I mean if, it, we, if it was the first game, like if you just—it was game one, yeah, maybe. Yeah, like if he hadn't taken a single college snap and you just said, like, let's just see what he can do. But yeah, he's also like he's also a, a relatively pro-style quarterback, so I don't know, like, if he was Mike Vick or even like a lesser version. Uh, if he was BJ Daniels, maybe I get it, but like. He's he's a you know you, even if you haven't seen Tommy DeVito on film like you have a pretty decent idea of what he is. Um, he's not doing anything crazy uh, with you know that other quarterbacks haven't done before. Too true. Um, all right, moving us on a little bit to uh, running backs. Um, Dan Dante Strickland was talking to uh, Julian Wiggum the other day and was saying that he knows that the kind of improvement of the running game is on him. Um, I don't think this group's going to average more than four yards a carry this year, but I think that also might be enough. Um, are you of a different mindset? Do you feel like this team really needs to be a better rushing squad? Or do you think something like four yards will be enough um, to start pulling in the defense a lot more than, than what happened last year when the team was only averaging 3.2 um, per carry and just really not showing any sort of commitment or ability to run the ball? Um, I think they have to be better than last year. I don't think they need to be a great rushing team. Um, because the passing game is going to be very prolific just by design, I, they can't they can't do what they did last year. Like it can't be, you know, you're scraping for three yards every time you touch the ball. You need to be able to keep the defense at least a little bit honest. Um, last year, rushing S and P, we were 121st in country. That's pretty dreadful. Um, and it, it's just, you, there was just like you can't you want to be able to to have a decent shot of getting like a, a third and one and pounding the ball in there and getting it and just. Without Dungey having to do it. Yes, without Dungey having to go headfirst into a, 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 you know, Clemson's defensive line full of monsters. Um, so, yeah, last year was, was, like, untenably bad. I don't think they need to be great, but they need to be able to, as a group, average more than... What was what was the team you had to carry last year? Like 3.2. Yeah, that's horrible. Um, and some of that's dragged down by quarterbacks, uh, because I'm looking at them now, and it was, you know, the, the worst on our team... The worst of like the main guys was was Strickland who was at three point four nine, according to to the spreadsheet I'm looking at. Um, overall, like I think they they should get better just because I don't know how much worse it can get. I know the offensive line is uh, more of a problem area than we anticipated because of injuries. Um, but Strickland's older. I think Mo Neal we're all very bullish on. He is uh, a year older, and he was you know probably the most exciting of this group last year. 
Um, but neither one have... can move the pile. Neither one's going to move the pile. That's why we have uh, Chris Elmore. If he's going to dead snaps. I think um, he's going to. <laughs> I, I, I'm why, I mean... Why else do you bring in a 280-pound uh, running back if you're not going to, like, just put him in situations? No, Tank Package is back, and I know I saw a lot of people in the comments were kind of already, like, you know, tossing Strickland aside for Marquenzie Pierre, and, like, I've said this before in writing, I've said it on here, like, Marquenzie Pierre is only, like, five pounds heavier than Dante Strickland right now. Like, I, I feel like we all told ourselves that Pierre was, like, this bigger back. He's not that much bigger. Um, not not to say that he can't be more effective between the tackles because that was the type of runner he was in high school. Uh, Strickland wasn't that type of guy, so maybe there's a style preference there that just allows Pierre to, to excel more. But like without Elmore, like we're still kind of in the same place we were before in terms of like pounding the ball between tackles, which is what Babers pretty much demands of the running game. I'm also not like super ready to sell on Dante Strickland, like. Obviously, he had a bad year last year, but I remember the Florida State game his freshman year. He caught that 62-yard uh, pass. Like, he, he has some speed. He has some talent. He threw a touchdown um, pass last year. He also threw a touchdown pass. <laughs> An 87-yard so, touchdown pass. It wasn't like he was the lead back and he was awful and everyone else was killing it. Like, he was kind of indicative of how the whole team did, uh, was playing last year. Um, so, I'm not, really, really, uh, I'm not ready to just totally uh, send him down the river. Um I think he has ability. I think a lot of the running, I think most, maybe not most, but I think a lot of the running game's problems were predicated on the offensive line struggles. Uh, so I, I just think, I think they honestly cannot get worse than they were last year, even with the line injuries, um, because you still do have guys uh, progressing in that in that spot, and I know we're going to talk about them a little bit. Um, so I, I don't think they'll be good, but they should be able to at least be like 90th in the country. <laughs> and open up things a little bit for the passing game. If they're 90th, that would be, I think, a huge improvement. It would probably mean we're scoring at least four more points per game. I know that seems ridiculous, but I I, I definitely believe that. I think if we if we run the ball even to that extent, you know, better, I, I think that it's going to... Like, that, that was what hurt us last year. And, like, that's... And I'm not even calling people out for outside of the program and outside the fan base for, like, for seeing the offense for not really being that much better or not like it was a completely one-dimensional offense the running game just could not move the ball and you know th- this is kind of what happens and, and that that's the only reason why the offense didn't look even better than it did like than, than it did last year like we actually moved the ball pretty well on the ground um in, in the finale against Pitt and that wasn't the only reason why we put up an astronomical amount of points in yardage, but it was one of them. Yeah, things definitely got better there, and part of that was because Pitt's defense was strangely dreadful. Um, I'm actually like interested. I'm looking at, at Bill C's advanced numbers. Our, actual, our adjusted line yards were actually, like, that was our best uh, line stat. Um, so maybe maybe it is a little bit more of a, a you know down-the-middle share there uh, in terms of blame for the poor running game. It wasn't great. They were 87th in adjusted line yards uh, versus, you know, I said 121st overall in rushing S&P. So, um, not good. Uh, and then, obviously, I think the red zone struggles weren't all rushing. A lot of that um, was the fact that we struggled to, you know, kick the ball. Um, and uh, we still, like, didn't quite, like, have a great uh, passing attack near the end zone. But, obviously, a competent or, you know, close to competent rushing game 
really has a big impact when you get into the red zone. So um, it's, it, it doesn't need to be everything. It doesn't need to be the running, rushing attack from 2012. It just needs to be, you know, something that defenses can't, you know, put six in the box and ignore. And last year, that's kind of where we were at. Like, defenses just did not need to worry about us rushing until the pit game, which oh, yeah. was, like, bare, barely football. Yeah. <laughs> it was... That's why people, I mean, after that, like, stretch against UConn and BC and Virginia Tech, then it was easy enough to just put a QB spy in there. You saw Louisville do it. Like, and Dungy also wasn't running as much in the beginning of the year. Like, yeah, if you don't have to worry about the run game from the running back position, then you can just blitz the quarterback. And, and that, that's how Dungy's going to get hurt. So, so that there, there are many layers to why the running game needs to be better. Yep, you just need to be able to keep them honest, and I, that's, I know that's like kind of cliche, but it, it is very true. You can't, as as fun as it is to say, like, oh, it doesn't matter because we're going to throw for forty five hundred yards this year. Like, it it just doesn't. You're not going to win games that way. You need to be able to balance things out at least to a respectable amount. Um, otherwise, you're you're hampering the rest of your your offense. Uh, so last year, like, honestly, I, I'm impressed that we even had. Uh, as much success as we did passing, considering how dreadful the running game was, um, and given that, like I think there's there are a lot there's a lot of uh, reason to be hopeful that just by again by like default and just pr- progression to the mean, um, we should be able to have just a a bad running game versus like a worse running game in football, despite having a good offense. I'd agree. Um, continue with the offensive theme. Uh, we're not at halftime just yet. Uh, wide receivers. Big questions, obviously. Uh, replacing Ahmed Atawo for one. Um, replacing Brizzly Esteem that I think people are kind of underrating for two. Um, I have a lot of faith in Steve Ishmael. I just hope that he doesn't get bogged down in better route running that prevents him from making the plays we know he's capable of. Um, I think Irv is going to get close to 100 catches this year. Um, Dan, who are the other who are the other guys that are getting this football? Um, do you think Sean Riley's going to get a little bit more involved? Um, do you think that Devin Butler is going to be able to to get that other outside receiver spot, or if he's going to lose it to, to Jamal Custis? Um, and I know we've talked about Ravian Pierce here before, but but it is worth bringing up again um, on this show um, just how much of an impact tight end should have on on a team that didn't really have a lot of uh, safety valves. When, when Dungy got into trouble last year, especially in short yardage. Yeah, I think you brought up the guys that I was going to name. Um, Riley, I think, is probably the most obvious heir apparent to that uh, Irv role. I, he's, he's obviously a much smaller player. Irv was, you know, kind of a well-built running back before becoming a receiver. But he's very fast. Uh, we've seen a little bit of what he can do. He had 11 catches last year. Um, I think they're going to carve out uh, something for him, especially in, like, four wide sets. Um I'm very, very high on Devin Butler. Uh, I think he um, has probably one of the better combinations of size and speed on the team at six three. Um, I actually don't even realize, I don't think I realized he was even that tall. Um, but he was a, a track star, I believe, in high school, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he didn't do too much last year; he had two catches. But I'm, I'm very up on him, and it sounds like he's had a nice camp. And then we've talked about Raven Pierce like every week, I think, just because he's so exciting and he showed it in the spring game. Um, and the fact that the tight end position might as well have not existed last year, so it's kind of like we've expanded our offense by like a whole spot. Um, uh, you could probably say the same thing about running backs, although we did have some nominal carries here and there. Tight ends, we just didn't do anything with. Um, so I'm, I'm pumped for him, and uh, it, it's 
I think it's going to really open up things for for Beaver's entire offense because we and and we have to learn something because we have no idea what they're going to do with them. Um, so those are the guys, and then I think one of the two of Anoisi and Trustis, who I know we we have been talking about ad nauseum for like three years now. One of those guys has to find a role in this offense. It just uh, and maybe Pierce takes away a little bit of the the need for that, but uh, just because he's you know similar size and you know a uh, four star talent, but. Anoisi and Justice, like, they're huge 6-5 uh, frames, even if they're just coming in in red zone. Um, I think we need to have one of those two guys able to go out there and win jump balls in the corner of the end zone. And I, I, I still have faith that one of them will, will carve that out. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, And that's what kind of why I know, like, I've gotten a lot of questions about this in the comments. Like, that's why I started trending towards picking Butler um, to win that outside receiver spot because I do think that, like, Unfortunately, uh, I think Pierce and Custis and Anoisi are a little redundant of one another, um, which kind of becomes a problem. But doesn't mean that that you know all these guys won't be able to go out there um, and you know catch thirty, forty balls. I mean, Dundee's going to be throwing a hell of a lot, so uh, it it seems well within the realm of possibility that just because you're starting doesn't mean that you're the only option. Um, Last year, Babers had a lot of guys catch the football because he wanted to kind of see what he had um, on hand. This year, he knows what he has on hand a little bit more. Um, and so I think you'll see you'll see a similar rotation, but one that, that I think Babers is, is, is purposefully, you know, executing on versus one that he's kind of haphazardly like, let's see, let's see what we got here. Um, so I, I think the receivers having more time in this system um, should be a, a huge, huge... Um, help i don't know if we're going to see any of the freshmen um but at the same time like wouldn't surprise me if if somebody like uh you know russell thompson bishop uh saw the field a little bit yeah i think we're in the position where we don't need to press any of the freshmen into immediate playing time um but if one of them breaks out like i have no problem with one of them uh coming in even if it's as a fourth receiver i think receiver is one of those uh, kind of instinctual positions where running back especially as well um, but we have you know a couple of those guys in that position but fewer um, that could potentially come in right away but uh, I have no problem with with adding a throwing a freshman to the fire if he's if he's ready to go at that spot I would agree um, all right why don't we do a little halftime and we can jump into the rest of the positions and get into some schedule talk um, Dan what have you been drinking uh, I actually had a, a pretty good beer week for the first time in a, in a while. Um, I was down on the shore this weekend uh, celebrating a bachelor party, and one of the local restaurants that we always end up going to had just a crazy lineup of beers. Um, I had Mexican cake from Westbrook, which, uh, yeah, by the pint. Wow. <laughs> it was, yeah, they were serving Mexican cake by the pint for like seven bucks, and I uh, had a couple of those because when else is that ever going to happen? Um, they also have the Maharaja from Avery. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, uh, which, you know, pops up every once in a while. Um, also had, uh, there was an Evil Twin uh, lemonade sour of some sort, which I forgot to check into because I only tasted it and I didn't have a full one. It was, a, it was, it was decent. It wasn't great. Um, my friend brought down some beer from Wolf Hollow in the, in the uh, Schenectady area. So I had their Midnight Dreary, uh, which was a, is a, I believe it's the black IPA they have, which was pretty good. Very, uh, very roasty coffee flavor, um, but a nice, uh, yes, yeah, black IPA. Um, pretty, pretty uh, good one overall. 
Um, their Purpose Pale Ale was very, very good. Uh, their Battle of Cincinnati, uh, white, that was a white IPA, was very good. And then I had uh, the Head High from Cane Brewing in Jersey, which was a, an IPA, which was uh, pretty delicious. Um, I hadn't actually had Cane before, but I think that's one of the better breweries down there along the carton. Uh, and then I found, uh, what else did I have? Oh, and then I was back here in New York, and I had uh, an apricot wheat from Ithaca, one of the old like Syracuse area standbys. I had a little heaven session from Two Roads up in Connecticut, uh, and a Kentucky bourbon barrel ale, um, which was good. I don't think I actually had that before, although I've seen it a million places. And I was at Dino, so I had Dennis or uh, Ape Anger, as I tend to do when I go there. And uh, some Dr. Shed. Very so nice. pretty, pretty solid lineup, I'd say. Yeah, eventful uh, beer week. Let's see. Um, in the last week or so, had um, I mentioned Valise's uh, Sour Ale from um, Brewery Aged in White Wine Barrels. They have a, well, one with white wine must in the first version. This is the Asian white wine barrel version that I had uh, last Friday. Uh, that one was pretty good. Swung over to Monkish over in Torrance. Had uh, a couple of their new IPAs. They had Potholes and uh, Passion and Pain. Both were pretty solid. Um, oh, Smog City had a new sour. It was a uh, Mulberry Alive. Um, then I was up in San Francisco for the last couple of days. Uh, got to swing over to Cellar Maker um, over in Soma, which was nice. Uh, they make a lot of great uh, IPAs, both like West Coast and East Coast style. Um, had their Fort Simcoe, which was really good. And then they had a couple collaboration beers that they uh, did with uh, Monkish from down here. Um, they were both double IPAs. They had a Keeping the Family Together and then uh, the uh, Dobus Family Reunion that I had a couple nights ago. And that beer, about 8.7%. Really packs a punch, um, but in a good way. Uh, so definitely enjoyed that. Um, and then I had some uh, Deschutes Fresh Squeezed IPA last night um, over some wings in the only good wing place I've ever found in California. There's only one in the whole state? I've only found one. <laughs> Duly noted. Do not get wings in some of your California. They just don't know how to make them. It's just so unfortunate. Now, this this place had, uh, had 25 cent wings, so we just ordered 100. As you do. As you do. I mean, that that's definitely worth it. For oh, I, I mean, we've we've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's definitely not out of the uh, out of the realm no. at all. Like I said, actually good wings. Um, they were super hot though. I feel like I'm uh, I'm tossing back tums a little too uh, too frequently today as a result. But yeah, um, so back to football, I guess, instead of uh, gastrointestinal issues. <laughs> so now you know we were alluding to this earlier Dan um, offensive line Aaron Roberts getting injured is bad um, very bad actually um, especially if you want to move the ball um, right up the middle um, Aaron Cervais has been hampered it would seem uh, for the last few weeks uh, Sam Heckle might have to go with center um, in week one if he's Cervase is limited, but he is practicing. Um, how worried are you right now um, about this offensive line, given given all that? Uh, very. <laughs> um, Fair enough. We lost probably our best guy uh, in... Uh, you just named him. Uh, Robert, sorry. Um, 
who I think was the most experienced guy coming back. He had 12 starts under his belt. Midlaster has 12 as well. Um, but I think Roberts is like one of the real bright spots from last year. Um, now, I'd say the, the one bright spot is that because of how many injuries and just like lack of depth there was, or lack of experience depth there was last year, like a lot of these guys have played a decent amount. Um, I'm looking right now. Uh, we have... Adams and Conway have both played a bunch. Yeah. Adams and Conway have both played... Uh, let me see who else is on this team. Um, even... Uh, Colin this... Byrne, but I don't... Yeah, that, that's the one I was looking at. He's like... What's his deal right now? He... I heard he was taking reps with the second team to replace Roberts while um, Patrick Davis was taking reps with the ones, which was surprising. Even though Davis got on campus in January, he's still a true freshman. Um, if he's the best player, he should play, but I'd much rather he kept that shirt intact. And, like, we had, you know, surveys, Sam Heckel, A.J. Derrick, and, uh, and Colin Byrne kind of cover the uh, left guard and center spots if I had to pick. Yeah, so between those four guys, we have, uh, by my count, and they're all from last year, um, almost 40 career starts. So, like, that should be uh, a decent, um, you know, a decent starting point. Unfortunately, obviously, last year, the offensive line really struggled, and, and Roberts is probably the best of them. He had 12 of his own, and he is out. Um, so it's still kind of a makeshift unit. Um, but plenty I just, of makeshift for once. Yes, we at least know now. Like, I think I'd rather be in the position we are than like losing Roberts in Game Three. Um, so I, I, we're, we're fans of some of these guys in terms of their their potential. It's just like still a very young group because you have Evans, uh, Evan Adams, and Byrne are both redshirt sophomores, which is like when you expect guys to like start playing all on the offensive line. Um, Conway's a junior. I really, like uh, I really do like Conway. Yeah, Conway's a junior and McLoster is a senior, and assuming those two start, like at least you have some uh, a decently uh, experienced uh, set of tackles, which is important. Um, and I think the darts have potential, which is good considering what the how much the running game struggled. Uh, center is is going to be scary. Uh, I think you have uh, Surveys penciled in, who's a redshirt freshman. Um, he's a Babers guy, which is nice. Like it's he's you know not he was inherited. He's one of the guys that Babers went after himself. He's a big dude. Uh, Isn't he like 6'8"? Uh, let me see. He's uh, listed at 6'6", 305. So that's pretty big for a center, too. Yeah. Usually centers are like a, among the, the shorter linemen overall, but you know, there's no hard and fast rule, especially in college. Um, I will say, like, I was a big fan of Heckel and Durig uh, as recruits, and they are, you know, there's a decent chance they'll both have to play this year. Um, they're both, uh, Heckel's a retro freshman, Durid's a retro sophomore, um, they're both incredibly strong, they were really solid recruits coming in, so if they are thrust in, like, it's not like we have guys that, we, we're not, we're not going to be faced with playing walk-ons, I don't think. Right. Um, but overall, like, you just, you'd rather have, uh, I felt, like, sneaky good about this before the Roberts injury, and now it's, it's just another one down where you're, you're forcing someone who is probably, like, a year away from playing, but... Uh, they're going to, I mean, it, it's just a situation it is, so there's there's no real there's no real use in, in complaining too much about it, because it's not like this staff has had four years to build off the line and has just failed to recruit them. 
Um, they're inheriting a team that has had offensive line issues since 2013, pretty much, and and the recruiting in years past has not really helped them. Um, so it, it's just going to be kind of an adventure, I think. Hopefully, uh, this kind of uh, first, I mean, the first three games we've gone over, like, they're not all gimmies, but they're the three easiest games in the schedule in all likelihood, or at least three of the probably four or five easiest games in the schedule. So hopefully that helps them get some some decent experience and some wins, and, and they can... You know, get comfortable with the playbook because it's going to be a long, uh, a long stretch once we get to the heart of this schedule. And you have obviously LSU's crazy defensive front, which will probably feature Arden Key. I, I don't know what his deal is. I know he's been like off and on whether or not he was going to play, but it sounds like he'll probably be there. Uh, and then you have NC State's crazy defensive line, which is one of the best in the country across the board. Uh, and then you have Clemson's defensive line, which might be the best in the country across the board. Uh, Florida State has crazy talent, and those are all within like six weeks of each other, so yeah, um, yeah. enjoy Central Connecticut. <laughs> Christ. Um, all right, on the other side of the ball, other people's defensive lines are scary. Um, ours is not. Doesn't mean that it can't do something this year, though. Um, assuming that Josh Black can play, because I know he's been in and out of, uh, of practice, I've got Black and Brandon Berry starting, but I could definitely see those two and Coleman kind of being interchangeable um, at the end, along with uh, the newly added uh, Alton Robinson once he uh, kind of gets his bearings at SU. Um, and then McKinley Williams and Chris Slayton on the inside with Kate and Samuels also rotating in with them. So I think we could have six or seven linemen that we're able to rotate in. I think that feels like it's better than it's been, Dan, at least in terms of, like, I feel like most of these guys, if they're not proven at SU, they were proven at the JUCO level, and, like, I know I mentioned uh, when, in the Robinson post um, when he uh, signed that, like, we I think we have, like, two or three of the best tackle for loss guys in the JUCO ranks from last year, like, nationally, which I think tells, should tell you a lot about what Babers and, and uh, Brian Ward want to do this year with the Blitz. Yeah, I'm actually, like, uh, defensive line's like probably one of the other it's the other like problem position in terms of uh, depth because of some of the early losses that we've had in the offseason but like I'm sneakily kind of warming up to the group um, I think it's it's a little bit less of a concern in the offensive line at this point um, obviously you'd want Stephen Clark and Jacqueline Nelson and Josh Allen here uh, if possible but I think the guys that we do have have ability um, uh, in the middle uh, Slayton and Samuels who you mentioned um, are both pretty experienced, both redshirt juniors, both big guys who can fill it in and actually get a little bit of a pass rush from the middle, which is nice. Um, I think we're all high on Josh Black, who had a really nice season. Uh, it was Kendall Coleman that was in that kind of crazy stat about freshman uh, pass rushers last year, right? He was like fifth in the country among freshman uh, pass rushers in terms of pressures on quarterbacks behind like four really huge uh Freshman last year, what, like I think uh, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa's brother, was number one. He had the crazy freshman year. Oh uh, yeah, I found it. It was Kendall Coleman. Yeah, it was. It was like Nick Col- Nick Bosa, Joe Jackson from Miami, Malcolm Rose from Texas, Brian Burns from Florida State, and then Kendall Coleman tied with Brian Burns at 28 quarterback pressures uh, among true freshmen. So that's a good sign, and it wasn't something I, I know you mentioned in the preview. Like he got pressure on quarterback. I don't think we realized just how much. Um, so that's that's nice and hopefully something to build on. Um, 
Brandon Barry, uh, we'll see what he can bring right away. Um, obviously, he's coming from the JUCO ranks. Uh, and defensive line is like one of those spots where I'm always kind of down to infuse the talent, infuse us with a uh, JUCO talent because I, I think pass rushing ability is one of those things that translates um, pretty well across levels. Uh, and that is, you know, if you're getting a top JUCO guy, you're getting a guy who probably got to the quarterback like a dozen times a year before. Um, so overall, like it's it's a talented group. It's not there's not a ton of experience outside of uh, the the two defensive tackles, but I think there's enough here where we can probably make something work. Um, and and I definitely felt worse about this before I started prepping for this earlier today. <laughs> um, <laughs> on paper, it probably doesn't look quite as good as it might end up being. Especially, and then that's not even talking about like guys like Jake Picard, who was one of our best recruits a couple of years ago, hasn't really played a ton yet. But he, you know, he's a talented player, and there's a reason he had. Uh, what Michigan and uh, Wisconsin or Florida? Was he one of the? Oh yeah, I think it was Wisconsin. In, it was in, Wisconsin. In general, I feel like if we were gonna take a, an injury on the defensive line, like we can deal with it on the outside. On the inside, I'm still petrified because there's really like three options. I mean, I, I guess Kenny Ruff can be plugged in there too, but like the Kenny Ruff thing is interesting to me just because like the position changes he's had are. Are so drastic, and like I trust, it's such a weird position change to go from linebacker all the way to defensive tackle that like there has to be good reason for it. Like defensive end, you can kind of like talk yourself into no matter what, just because it's like you're basically moving one spot. But going to the inside is such a strange move that I there has to be a good reason for it. So I, I'd rather not have him as a starting defensive tackle right off the box. But um, it, it's I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I guess. Uh, because, yeah, like you said, there, there are basically three guys we can play on the inside that we feel, like, super confident about. Right. <laughs> Moving on to more positive things. Linebacker. Um, pretty much all the important pieces are back. Um, Zaire Franklin, Paris Bennett. Uh, we're two of a handful of players in the ACC that racked up over 100 tackles. Um, both should be able to do so again this year. I really liked what they rounded into, I think, by midseason last year, um, especially Franklin's spot, the fact that they were able to incorporate elements of why they were so good in Schaefer's system into the Tampa 2, if they can do more of that, and again, like based on what we're recruiting toward, if they can do more of that here, um, I feel like this defense is going to be better off, and maybe again, like, you know, Babers keeps everything close to the vest, Ward and the rest of the assistants don't talk to media, so we're not really going to know how much, but you can definitely see an embrace of something else in a different strategy. So I, I, I do think that Franklin and Bennett could be in for a big year. Um, that's not to discount Jonathan Thomas, but I do think that Jonathan Thomas kind of represents like one of the lasting links to the old. He played very well last year, but I don't think he play, he adapted as well just because that side of the defense. And when you're a linebacker, it just calls for it just calls for more coverage ability than I feel like he was prepared for. It's not his fault, but it's just a fact, and that's why you see some guy, you see somebody like uh, Keelan Whitner now, like challenging him, who used to be a safety. Um, I'd say Nadarius Fagan's maybe a long shot over there um, for playing time, and even a guy like Shai Cullen, who like has the ability to handle the football, is probably going to be you know the, the second kick returner. So. Um, I'm not worried about linebacker, but I think that there's 
there's some signs of, of a transition here. And I think when you look at these three guys, some of the other names I mentioned, um, and then Ryan Guthrie, who you know was I believe he was the tackle for loss leader in uh, in the JUCO ranks last year nationally. Um, it seems like we're going to be looking at a slightly skewed scheme in a good way. Yeah, I mean, I think this has been the strong suit for this defense for years now, and, and it's still there. Um, obviously, Bennett and Franklin are just awesome players. Uh, Bennett really, like, has flown under the radar because Franklin has, like, the accolades of being the three-year captain and has been starting forever uh, and feels like he's been on the team forever. Um, Bennett was just a monster last year. Uh, what, 110 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss. Um, probably our best, uh, like, can, can, you know, both get in the backfield and also play the passing lanes. Um, really impressive, and having both those guys back is huge, um, especially with a, a lean uh, defensive line and a kind of a wild card defensive backfield, which I think we both, well, we'll talk about in a little bit, but I think we both are, uh, think we'll get better from last year, if, even if it's not going to be a strength. Um, Thomas, like, I've always been pretty enamored by Thomas's uh, athleticism. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's just jacked and really fast, and hopefully that really translates. Like, it wasn't like he had a bad year last year, but it feels like he hasn't quite lived up yet, um, but he is penciled in start, and uh, hopefully, you know, he can, can take that, that senior year leap. Um, obviously, he got picked on a little bit last year in coverage, uh, which will be interesting to see uh, what you know, if an improved defensive backfield kind of helps that, because it wasn't like he was the only one who struggled in this passing game. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in, in Whitner at linebacker, too. I, I think it makes sense. Um, he kind of had troubles. He had trouble uh, covering from the safety spot last year, but he's a big hitter. Um, he looked like a linebacker, to be honest. Like, he looked almost out of place at safety, considering just how, how super athletic and super well-built he is. Um, and I can see him being like kind of a, a big time um, threat off the edge, uh, considering he has you know still has that safety speed. Um, overall, I'm, I'm looking. Guthrie is interesting. Like you mentioned, his his kind of crazy tackle for loss numbers. Um, who knows if that's going to just jump right off, you know, right up to the next level? But he's at least you know when you get these junior college guys, even they don't have to be day one starters to be pretty pretty solid contributors. We've had a number of these linebackers who come up from those ranks and even if they never start a game, like they'll come in, they'll play solid uh, solid series, they can be good special team contributors. Um, we have Andrew Armstrong who I believe was a junior college guy as well, uh, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, he was he was straight out of high school. He was straight out of, who was who am I thinking of? Ted Taylor, who's not there anymore. Yes. Yes. Who I meant those two up. Um yeah, so overall, I mean, I think there's solid depth here. I, I will obviously be in trouble if, if anything happens to Franklin and Bennett, but I, I feel pretty good about the guys we have behind them. Um, you have some really interesting freshmen. You mentioned uh, Fagan, Tim Walton, uh, who is is kind of an interesting tweener, who uh, I think you mentioned in the preview might end up moving down to defensive end, but um, he's a guy who could be an interesting like pass rushing specialist off the edge. Uh, so we're starting to do some things here. Um, and, and if Franklin and Bennett are, are healthy all year, I think this is going to be the strength of the defense for sure. No, hundred percent. I, I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that this defense, I mean, I guess the one problem is just because the linebackers are good doesn't mean the defense is good. Um, we've seen that I think for the last few years, um, we saw that, you know, years back, even, you know, under Greg Robinson, when the linebackers were a strength that, 
um, that didn't really mean much for the entire defense. Um, so that's how kind of we get to uh, defensive backs and secondary. Um, Dan, who the hell's starting? Because I've got I've got a lot of names that that I think could start. I think there's too many players back here. Um, that's not a bad thing, especially for such a trouble spot in the last probably three or four seasons. But nonetheless, I feel like we got too many guys now, and I don't really know who's going to be playing. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking down the list, and it really there really are like two guys per spot. I, I think Antoine Cordy you can put in pen. I think he's he's got to be, and he was a the the bright spot of this whole level of the defense last year. Um, I'm trying to trying to think. I, I'm confident in Devin Butler. Um, I know I don't think he's penciled as a starter yet, but he seems to have impressed in practice so far. I think he's, you know, he's going to need to earn his a little bit more than some of the other guys because he's a transfer in. Um, well, but he's he was also less to correct than the other guys. From that a, like, too. System standpoint. That is very true. Um, I'm, I'm, it's I think Dowels has a shot. I think Scoop Bradshaw had some moments last year. Um, if he has a healthy, shot. If Scoop's healthy, I think he'll be a day one starter. Frederick put up the bigger numbers of the two of them. Yeah, Frederick had a, 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 an interesting year last year. Obviously, I feel bad. It's like you can't really say anyone had like a great year. I think Cordy had a, a kind of a disaster last season, but like there were enough bright spots where you can see like. Oh, he had moments, and that's yeah. really what, like, hang on when you have, like... Kevon Ellison and all these other guys, like, like you, you saw because of injuries to Cordy and Dowles and, like, that guys like Ellison and, and Whitner to an extent and some others, like, were able... Like, Frederick got playing time that he might not have gotten otherwise, same with Scoop. Like, as I, I stress this in a lot of these previews, because we've had so many injuries, we also have so much youth with experience, um, and that's why you see a depth chart pretty much loaded with juniors and sophomores right now. Um, and despite being one of the most experienced teams in the country. So it could pay dividends this year. And I think that's what a lot of people are asking when they're talking about Syracuse from the outside is, like, if that experience turns into something, then SU could be really good or at least better. Um, if, if bringing over the same guys from a bad defense just means the defense is bad, then we have a bigger problem. I think we talk about this a lot. Like, there's there's a reason. I think Syracuse is one of the more experienced teams in terms of like games played. Um, but it's a lot of guys who played as freshmen. So um, even where you have like three safeties with a lot of experience, like we have with uh, Cordy, Ellison, and Williams, and, and I think safeties probably uh, we're probably more confident safety than we are corner. Um, it's still not like we have you know a bunch of three year starters there. So it, it's kind of an adventure. Um, if, if I'm picking my four here, I, I, I'm going to go with Butler at one of the cornerback spots. Um, Bradshaw versus Frederick is tough at the other one. Um, I'm going Frederick only because he came in as a corner, while Bradshaw is a natural safety. Yeah. I mean, they're all going to play. They're all going to play a lot. And then Dowels will play a bunch, too, because... We're, we're in the ACC, we're going to see plenty of spreads, we're going to see a lot of four receiver packages. Well, that's my one question, though, is if, if those are your if those are the four corners that play, then what happens to Martin and Dallas? I mean, Dallas and Martin and Hudson, sorry. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it, it, I mean, this, that's that's why this is such a fascinating group, honestly. Um, like, Martin only has this year, so, like, and, and he actually has, I think, the most 
he's got more tape to point to, I feel like, than most of the guys. He's more tape than Butler to point to, actually. That's true. Yeah, I think Martin might be, I mean, I feel like we haven't heard as much about him. He was playing safety a little bit in practice last week. Yeah, like, he's he has, hasn't gotten, like, Butler's obviously come from Notre Dame, so he's going to get more attention naturally than the guy coming from Toledo. But, um... Martin's probably one of the most experienced guys in this defense. I, I feel like just the lack of, um, he's just not one of the storylines. So it, it's uh, he's flying under the radar. It, that I mean, there there are legitimately six guys. Because Hudson's also redshirt junior. He's been around here for for four years now. Um, there are legitimately six corners that could play uh, some role. I, I and and it's not like we're going to almost all these guys have redshirt. We're not going to redshirt Scoop Bradshaw unless right. some crazy injury happens. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss. I, I I could see any of these groups playing, and hopefully, hopefully having six pretty strong options at corner means you can figure out like three guys who aren't going to end up being part of the 120th ranked defense. Hopefully, we can like hit on half. <laughs> and then I, I feel pretty good about the Cordy Ellison Williams uh, group. Um, People are high on Foster right now. Yeah, I mean, Foster's like, kind of a different look because those guys are, are, are across the board. Like, uh, Williams is not that small, but Ellison and Cordy are both smaller guys, um, especially for the safety position. So Foster is probably the closest thing we had to, like, Whitner last year, who looked kind of like a linebacker. Foster's not quite as, uh, he's not as, like, defined, but he's, you know, 210, 11 So he's he's going to be the slight, probably a, the slightly bigger hitter, strong safety, maybe plays more run packages. Um and and like you you know in the in the uh, preview like he could very well start as well. Um, I'd probably lean towards it being Cordy and Ellison, just based on like what we know from last year. I buy it. All right, so Dan, do we have to talk about special teams? Because I feel like we kn- we know what we have, but doesn't mean we're happy with it. Uh, the hoof is good. Uh, kickers, uh, something. Um, there. Uh, we don't have Grizzly anymore. Uh, Matt Keller, I think, has been on the team for 18 years. <laughs> um, Murphy is a, p- a person. Hopefully he's 2015 Murphy versus 2016 Murphy. You know, Murphy Murphy scares the crap out of me. Yep. Like, absolutely terrifies me. And, like, it's not even, like, to knock him. It's to point out that, like, since, like, halfway through two years ago like something is just wrong yeah I mean he just he was so um, kickers if you just even if you follow the NFL like kickers can be this way like one year they're automatic and and the next they turn into mush like I'm looking at Aguayo on the Bucks. like he was one of the best kickers in college football history and literally cannot put the the ball to the uprights um, more than half the time at the NFL level and he just got cut so uh, kickers can be kind of uh, bizarre in that way, but um, Murphy had like what? It wasn't like he was just really good for like a small stretch. Like he was really rock solid for at least a full year, and then just like had a really rough second season. So hopefully he can bounce back. If not, hopefully one of these other mystery kickers on the roster, maybe Andre S- Smith. I assume that's how you pronounce that name. Him, Jeff um, Chan. We got uh, Alex Grossman. I think Sterling Hoffer gets the job if, if Murphy can't do it, to be honest, but that's me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly a possibility, and I would trust him with uh, everything because he is a Syracuse, 
Syracuse Punter, and Syracuse Punters are among the best football players in the world. This is a fact. Um, all right. So that was every position. Dan, it's time to go through the schedule. Uh, I can't promise we're going to expedite it to those listening, but we're going to try to because I know we're already over the hour mark. <laughs> These always happen, though, with football. Um, Dan and I can talk about Syracuse football for four hours if you let us, uh, but we won't. So the first week one, I don't really think we need to talk about it. I think we're both in the win column here. Uh, such Connecticut State's bad. Um, much worse than most um, FCS teams we've scheduled in the past. So I, I, I would not worry about this one for a second. It's their first ever game and it's an FBS opponent, and they're not particularly good at the FCS level. Yep. There should be no way that Syracuse lets this team. Yeah, they're not good. Um, yeah, so I, I feel pretty confident about that one. Not that Syracuse hasn't given us uh, crazy stares against FCS teams before, but most of the time those have been good FCS teams. This is not one of those, as far as we know. Too, too, true. Um, all right, Middle Tennessee, we got into that a little bit um, earlier. Brent Stockstill's really good. Um, he's probably one of the top 25, 30 quarterbacks in the country. Um, they do have a couple other quality skill position players. They lost some skill position guys. Um, the defense was terrible, so that's why they brought in Scott Schaefer to try to fix it. Um, he's not going to be able to do that overnight. So now it's just a question of, like, how he's going to be able to um, – like turn the the players on MTSU right now who can't play defense into players that can uh, with a completely different system. I think that he helps close the gap a little bit, as does the pace that Middle Tennessee State plays at. But ultimately, um, I think SU pulls this one out maybe by a little bit closer than we want to. I'm thinking like ten points. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm going to like have stupid stupid logic for for giving us. I mean, obviously, I think we'll be favored and we should win. But I feel like a lot of these games, these mid-major games that we've, or not mid-major, group of five, sorry, Ron Sport, these group of five games that we've had in recent years where we've been, like, really afraid of them, um, we've ended up being, winning pretty comfortably, and then it's the ones that we, like, feel more uh, strongly, you know, that we'll, we'll win pretty easily that we've had trouble with. So I'm pretty terrified of Middle Tennessee. <laughs> um, yeah, just getting in a shootout with anyone I don't feel great about, considering what this defense played last year. Um but so I'll say because of that, we'll end up winning by like two touchdowns at the dome, and we'll all feel pretty silly about being nervous about it heading in. Hopefully, um, Central Michigan revenge game. Um, they lost Cooper Rush. They lost a bunch of other guys. I think CMU is going to get rolled. I think Dungey's going to put up like 450 yards. Yeah, the, this is kind of the reverse. I, I kind of feel now like because I feel I should feel really confident about CMU. We'll roll them. It's not. The one thing I can say, we've played this team a bunch recently. Obviously, it's not the same team, but Cooper Rush isn't there, so I feel pretty good about it. Um, Dungey will want revenge for that. That was CMU, right? That had yep. the really awful. Okay. Mitch Stack. Perfect. All right, Dan, we're not going to beat LSU. That's probably fine. Um, Death Valley just kind of, you know, chews up opponents and spits them out, unless, you know, it's Alabama. That said, I think we can keep this one closer, at least just from a standpoint of aesthetics. Um, I don't think there's anyone really expecting us to win, so that's fine. I, I, I don't really endorse moral victories on the football field, but this could serve as one um, if, we, if we had to pick one out of this early part of the schedule. 
Yeah, I mean, it's Death Valley. Uh, the only team that's going in there and winning, like, even a reasonable amount is probably Alabama. Um, so there's no real shame in losing it. Hopefully we can get, like, a repeat of last year where it's a pretty entertaining game throughout. Um, it, or was that last year or two years ago? No, for It was two years ago because it was still Schaefer. Um, I mean, the best thing you, can, you could say is, like, maybe our offense kind of catches them off guard, which I don't know why it would. Just there's a full year of tape on it now, but... Maybe the, just the speed of it catches them off guard. Maybe it's a, you know, if we actually get an early game at Death Valley, maybe there's a little, little bit of a hangover for the home team. But I'm not really going to, like, look for great reasons why we should go to win at LSU, uh, which is one of the most talented teams in the country. Um, has a uh, Heisman candidate running back again, and not the same one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darius Dice, who's really nasty. Um, it's so, yeah, we're, we're not knowing this game. It's fine. Hopefully we stop scheduling games like this until we're, we're very ready for it, if that ever is the case. Uh, so hopefully everyone who goes, uh, you included, have a, a good time. Because that's, that's really the, the win here is getting to go to uh, play a game in Baton Rouge um, and not being all that worried about the outcome because it seems fairly predetermined. Yeah. Cool. Three and one all around. Uh, next up is another difficult road game at NC State. Uh, we talked about this a little last week. The reason that none of us are ever sold on NC State is because even when our team's like half injured, we, they barely beat us. Um, I think NC State's going to win this one. I wish I could say differently, but um, yeah, I, I think their defense is good, and I think even if we perform admirably at LSU, it's it's going to take a little bit out of, out of us and too much out of us um, to, to pull an upset here. Yeah, I mean, we, we outlined the offensive line worries here uh, pretty extensively in this episode. Um, this is the game where I think that really is, like, the turning point because NC State, we, we do knock a decent amount. Like, they're not a very exciting team. Their defensive line is, is really, really good and really good across the board. Like, that's just, for whatever reason, they have this one standout thing this year, and that's it. So if this was at home, maybe I could talk myself into it. But given that being the strength of the team and, like, one of the best units in the entire country and our offensive line being probably our worst unit, um, I'm going to give it to State. I, I don't think it'll be, like, a crazy blowout, but I don't feel good about it. Fair enough. Uh, Pittsburgh. This is kind of where the season hinges, in my mind. Um, I've got us beating Pitt, and we talked about this a little last week. Um, Pitt just doesn't really have the horses this year. Um, there's still some, some players in the backfield, but I, I think you're banking a lot on Brown. You're banking a lot on that defense getting better, which is no guarantee, especially when they lost a lot of guys. Like, we at least had a bad defense, but we bring back a lot of guys. Um, other than Jordan Whitehead, there's not really, like, anything you're pointing to on that defense. It's just like, oh, they'll be better. Um, I think we win. I don't think it's going to be as high scoring as last year, but I do think we win this game. Yeah, Whitehead's obviously the standout, but the rest of that defense was dreadful last year, and now there's no guarantee that it's going to be that bad, because that was, like, bizarre how bad it was. Like, us being that bad would make sense. Like, them being that bad didn't make that much sense. So there's a chance they have a decent turnaround. I don't think they're going to turn around to being, like, a great unit, but the offense is going to take a pretty big step back. Um, The running backs are decent, but they lose uh, Peterman, who was a really, really good quarterback for them last year, um, and flew under the radar. Uh, So... I'll, I'll take us to win, too. I want to be optimistic in this preview. Um, we do have him at the Dome. Uh, Pitt has given us trouble for years, but I feel a lot better playing at the Dome than I do playing, you know, late season at Pitt, which is always a problem spot for us. Um, so, yeah, for the same reasons you outlined. Like, we should get 
better on defense, and the offense should keep on coming along. Their defense might get better, but I don't see how their offense is going to be the same as it was last year. And obviously, the margin was pretty big last year, but it was a total shootout. Um, I, I could see this one flipping to being a more normal football game, and also, uh, I would—I don't think we'll blow them out by any means, but I, I, I'll give us the, the narrow victory here. Agreed. Um, versus Clemson, um, I was seeing some people entertaining this as an upset in the comments today that's not happening um talent gap's too big clemson can play at pace um their defensive line as you mentioned earlier is horrifying uh their defense in general is really good um there might be some questions about the offense and that might take a step backwards this year but not so much of one where uh they're not going to be i mean they're not going to do what they did just last year i can say that for sure um but um there's no shame in in losing to them on a Friday night uh, by whatever it ends up being, 20 or so. Yeah. They, again, they have an absolutely terrifying defensive line, Christian Wilkins and, uh, uh, oh, man, I was just thinking of, I always forget names, as you all know by this point. Um, Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. There we go. (laughs) Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. (laughs) Um, absolutely, uh, two of the best defensive linemen in the country. Um, for the same reasons, NC State game uh, on defense, and also Clemson's just a better team overall. But like when you have a defensive line like that, and it's a very green offensive line, it's just not going to go well. And then uh, on offense for Clemson, um, I think Hunter Johnson, the five-star quarterback, will probably be uh, starting by this point, I, unless Kelly Bryant really wins wins the team over. Um, I know he's starting game one, but uh, Johnson's going to play either way, and I expect him to be the starter by midway through. Um, so they'll probably be clicking, even though it'll take them a little bit to find themselves early in the year. Um, I'd much rather would have faced, I mean, I don't know. I feel like this Clemson team you would rather face early in the year, but we also want to get better, so I don't know. There's a good time to face them. Either way, I, we're not going to win this team. It's fine. Again, we're not, we're not in the position to be beating national champions, or SEC powerhouses on the road. Which is fine for now. It is what it is. You can't, there's nothing we can do about it. It's just unrealistic. Indeed. Um, at Miami, a lot of people talking themselves at this one, too. Um, Hurricanes, the only real glaring issue is just a lack of a quarterback. That sounds like a big problem, and it is, but... Um, they have enough talent on the roster that I think that they can fill in. Everybody else um, should be pretty good. I think Miami has one of the better defenses in the conference. Um, their linebackers are, are pretty great. Their front four in general is pretty great. Um, some questions in the secondary, sure, but um, Miami's well-stocked with blue-chip talent. Um, they're going to beat us despite us having the extra day to rest. Yeah, like Miami, the quarterback is is new, but Malik Rozier, who was named the starter, assuming he's still starting at this point, um, he is a, a junior, so he's been around the program for a while, and he's had two years with Mark Richt, who is a very good quarterback coach. Um, he wasn't like an elite recruit, but he, you know, solid player from, from Alabama. Like, he's probably pretty talented. Um, and then the rest of the roster is just very, very, very good. Um, I, I think... We both. I, I had Miami winning this division finally. I forgot what your prediction was last week, but okay. So um, even if they don't win the division, like they they should be in that discussion. Uh, so winning this one's just going to be. Uh, I think it's a little bit too much. Um, it wouldn't be like 
the craziest thing that's, that's ever happened. Honestly, beating Virginia Tech last year was probably a little more of a stretch, and we did it. But not going to go out and predict it now. Um, we'll see where we are. Obviously, things go south for Miami, but uh, on paper, they're very talented. I'm not that worried about the quarterback situation, considering how good their running backs and their receivers, assuming Amon Richards uh, gets healthy, are. So uh, don't love this one for Syracuse. Speaking of things we don't love for Syracuse, at Florida State, we're going to lose this game. It's great. It's probably yep. it's probably going to be one of the worst games of the year. Uh, Florida State is one of the most talented teams in the country. Uh, DeAndre Francois puts up great numbers when he's getting his ass handed to him because the offensive line can't protect him. So if the offensive line actually improves, um, then he'll be even better. Uh, Florida State's defense should be able to keep us in check. Um, I shudder to think of what's going to happen if Dungy tries to test Derwin James over the middle. Um, yeah, this is going to go poorly. Yep, Florida State uh, beats the crap out of us pretty much every year, and they will do it again. Um, I said it was that one year when, when A.J. Long started, and it wasn't that bad, but the other years have been real bad. Um, uh, it'll probably be like that. <laughs> it's at Florida State. The other thing is that Florida State, uh, there's a very good chance that they are both uh, sitting on a loss from the Alabama game, which they could win, but like if they're sitting on a loss from the Alabama game, they could very well need all the style points they can muster to get themselves back in position to make the college football playoff as a one-loss ACC champ. So uh, that means they'll probably be geared up to try to hang uh, 60 on us, and hopefully we can hang like 30 on them back. Yeah. Optimism. All right. Wake Forest. Now, Please win this game. <laughs> have to win this Please. game first and um, Losing last year is still just just mind-blowing to all of us. I think when you look at what Wake lost over the offseason, the fact that their schedule is tougher, so they could be a little more banged up this late. Um, again, their offense can't really do much. If SU can just show themselves to operate it, like last year, I'd say they were 20% efficiency offense-wise. If they can even get to 60% of what they normally do against Wake, um, then I have no problem seeing Syracuse take this one. I'm very confident that there will not be a um, monsoon inside the Terrier Dome. I would agree. I think that was a pretty big factor in last year's game. Um, so I'm going to give Syracuse this one, considering we did not have a lot of problems beating Wake the years previous. Uh, obviously, last year's weight team was a lot better than it had been, and this year should be around the same. But I think Syracuse will take enough of a step forward, and will be dry enough to win this game. And please, please win this game. I don't want to start losing to Wake Forest now. Yeah, five wins. Five and five. Five and five, going to Louisville. Um, I think Louisville is getting undersold a bit nationally. That's probably a bad thing for us. Um, Lamar Jackson's still really good. Uh, we're going to be... I think we're going to be closer this year, and I don't think that they're going to hang 60 on us, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we're going to lose this game. Even last year's game, like, honestly, was not that bad. Yeah, not until the fourth. Until the fourth quarter. Um, it was a lot of fun for a while. Like, I didn't... It felt like we were in it. Dungy showed off, like, what he can do in the offense. Um, Lamar Jackson's just really good. He's not going to the Heisman this year because Heisman winners have to, like, do crazy things to win twice. It's, there's a reason it's only happened once. Um, and there's just enough other big names that Jackson's going to need to, like, somehow make what last year was seem like... He needs to, like, somehow trump himself, and his numbers last year were so good, it, it, it might not be possible. He's still one of the best players in the country and an absolute bear to try to defend. 
And like you said, I think they are kind of flying under the radar because last year ended so poorly for them um, when they got beat up and that Oliver ate their soul. Um, but he's just so good, and I don't see I, – I don't think – I agree. I, I don't think it'll be even, like, as lopsided as the store last year indicated. I think, you know, hopefully we can play a game where it's more like that game for four quarters, and uh, I don't see us winning on the road. Again, it wouldn't be the craziest thing, but Louisville's quite talented. They have one of the best players in the country at quarterback – Asking to win that game on the road is a lot, so uh, we're, we're we're bumping down to five and sits here with uh, BC at the dome for a bowl game, a position that we found ourselves in before. Yeah, and we're gonna do the same goddamn thing we did last time. Hell yes, <laughs> I was there. I don't know that I'll be there again. This is two days after Thanksgiving, but and also I have a job in college football, which is, makes it tough. But one of the most fun times at the dome uh, that I've had, and. Uh, Hopefully it won't require a throwback to a uh, tight end that we don't use that often. Hopefully we can just, like, blitz them like we did last year. Um, I feel very good about... If this is a 5-6 and six team heading into the BC game, I will feel maybe even irrationally confident that we'll beat BC unless, like, there are injuries everywhere. Well, because BC is going, like, 3-9 and nine this year. I, anyone predicting more is way too optimistic. 4-8 um, is kind of like the absolute ceiling for them, I think, based on the tougher schedule. And Unless Harold Landry learns how to play like quarterback. Yeah, which, I mean, if you don't have a quarterback and you don't have anyone else in the offense worth talking about, like, you know, meathead football doesn't work. Boston College, watching them, they're trash flavor trash. It's just not really, it's not, not anything that, that somebody wants to see. Um, their recruiting is pretty bad right now. It wasn't really that great last year either. Like, they don't really have, like, this stable of young talent and everything. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't put much stock in Boston College. So, yeah, that's a win. The best thing I can say about BC football is that Steve Adasio appears to have not blinded himself during the eclipse. So good for him. Way to go, guy. Uh, you did it. <laughs> Dan, what bowl game are we going to? Uh, can we go to the, what was the ridiculous one that just got renamed? Oh, the uh, Bad Boy Mowers uh, Gasper. Oh, yeah. Send us there, please. <laughs> in St. Petersburg. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want to go. I'm not going to go myself. But send us any bowl. But make it the bad boy mowers, uh, whatever the whatever the hell bowl. Gasparilla. Get the Gasparilla bowl. Send even. It, please just send us that one. That, that'd be so appropriate. Just for the jokes, for the for the for the for the jokes and garbage. Well, the thing is, like, this is the, the like the, this is the heir apparent to the quest for beef. Like, because this is the same game. This might be better. No, it, I mean it's better, but it's also like. This is the same game, just renamed twice since. This is if, if, if Will Ferrell made a goofy college football comedy in the mid-2000s. This would be the bowl game. I, I would absolutely agree there. Um, guess the bowl <laughs> sounds fair. Against. Quick lane sounds likely. Uh, that's not as fun. I know it's not as fun, but quick lane sounds... It could happen. Quick lane against, like, Ohio or Miami of Ohio sounds about right. Against Western Michigan. Yeah, let's just bookend this season, <laughs> next season with them. Uh, <laughs> that that's like honestly not the craziest thing. They could easily I, be I, like, I don't want that. I would rather not. Um, who would be playing the in the Gasparilla Bowl? Who uh, is it? AAC? Uh, yes. So like UConn? No, they're not getting. Oh the no, game. there's no chance. No. Uh, Temple. <laughs> that would be so like no, you know what? Like maybe UCF. Maybe it'll be the. Uh, the coach that we tried to hire and the one we actually did hire. Oh, God. I don't want to play that game. 
That would be scary. That would be a scary game. Yeah. There would be a lot of points. I wouldn't want that game. I would much rather face, like... I, I'd, I'd rather face a team like Temple, um, a team like, I don't know, SMU, maybe? There would be also a lot of points in that game. It would. So, yeah. I don't um, know. That, 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 that just get us to a bowl. I'll be happy in a bowl. Tulsa, that would be... I, I mean, face any, Tulsa. <laughs> there'd be so many... There are, like, so many 130-point games. Offense. Yeah, that's true. Um, Memphis will probably be too good. Navy's probably too good. Uh, USF's definitely too good. Houston, probably too good. Um, yeah, we're looking at, like, SMU or Cincinnati if they have a bounce back year. Uh, or Temple. I'm fine with any of those. Just send me to a bowl game. And if it's a silly game with a stupid name and we're going to have, like, the over-under for point total points would be like 150, and I want to bet over anyway. Like, that's fine. Yeah, I can deal with that. All right, cool. I um, feel like we've talked about Syracuse for more than enough time today. Uh, Dan, thank you, as always, for uh, dealing with changing schedules and all the other stuff. Um, hope everybody enjoyed us chatting. Um, Dan, do you have any parting thoughts before we uh, leave the good people in our last off-season podcast of the, uh, of the year? No, thank you for, for sticking with us for, like, way more than an hour. Um, hopefully this was informative slash fun, I guess. <laughs> and, as always, uh, go Orange. Go Orange. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.